punch that Lost button. Talk Radio. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, February 2nd, 2017. This is Michael Norris along with Bobby Simmons, Jay West, back with us for the first time in uh, a, f- a couple of months, and Jerry Oates. How you guys doing this evening? I'm good, and I'm glad Jerry's back with us. Well, thank you. I was afraid somebody was going to get my slot if I didn't get back on the air, so I, <laughs> you know how it is. I don't think you have to worry about that, sir. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Man, I'm, just, I'm we... just not doing good this week at all. That's the second day in a row I've lost money. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Over 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 and under on Jay was two months, and now he's back, so I lost money. <laughs> and the over and under on Charlie Smith was eighty six, and I took the under and I lost money yesterday. So I'm just uh, not doing good. Uh oh oh. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I tried uh, to call him for his birthday, and he didn't answer. So that's all I knew. Well, he was, you know, you with the fans he's got, you got to take a number and wait there, Jerry. You know that. He's he he got every place in town that gives you something free on your birthday on a list, and he spent the day collecting <laughs> free supper, free breakfast, free lunch. I mean, just wherever, wherever he could and go he was, to get something free. And he was probably selling them at half price. Wow. He's he's he's. I, I've never seen grown people go that crazy about their birthdays. Uh, you're just a day <laughs> older. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got it. But uh, you know, Charlie's uh, Charlie's seen a few. You know, I'm I'm happy for him. Well, that's great. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm hoping we're uh, we're all able to get around and do as well as he does when we get to be that age. Hey, I hope another year I'll be as good as I was last year. I tell you what. In a rough hey. couple of months. How are you feeling? Well, from the Jay? joyousness of uh, Mr. Smith's birthday yesterday to uh, Bobby, I don't even know. I don't know if you've heard this. I'm assuming you have. Uh, we lost Tom Drake this morning. Yeah, I heard. Uh, if anybody never got the privilege to meet this gentleman, you missed a you missed a, a, a rare fella. He was a uh, uh, one fine gentleman. I never met him. That he was. Tom uh Tom didn't get doesn't get the recognition outside of the people in the business that uh he deserves for a couple reasons. Uh he was a legitimate wrestler, a shooter. He uh wrestled for the uh University of Tennessee Chattanooga, which is the uh, and played football for them. Played in the Senior Bowl in 1953 or 54 uh, as a member of the uh, South Squad. He was uh, served in the military then became a professional wrestler. Was a full-time wrestler for mm, six, seven years maybe. Continued to wrestle on, you know, 
you know, part-time basis for another 10 years after that. But starting in the 60s, he spent most of his time uh, in Alabama politics. He was at one time the uh, Speaker of the House for the uh, state of Alabama. Uh, He had a law degree, by the way. He got his law degree. Um, I don't know if he got it from University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, or if he went somewhere and after finishing school after that and, and got his law degree, but uh, was was also married to a lawyer. And, Bobby, I have – her name has totally slipped my mind all day today. Chris. Christine. Chris. That's right. She was also a lawyer. And like Tom, just just the absolute greatest people in the world. Um, Tom was very soft-spoken, very uh, – down to earth and everything, but uh, no doubt about it, he he could be a dangerous man when he wanted to be, both with the, his knowledge of the law the and as a wrestler. I bet he could probably do uh, help a lot of the I guys I think out. he broke in, uh, he first appeared in Mobile in 55 or 56, and so he started, you know, in, in and around that time frame, Uh only titles that I know he held, he held the uh, Mississippi State title in 1958, and he and Mario Galinta beat the uh, fabulous Fargos for the world tag team titles uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, also in 1958, and uh, held those titles for a week and dropped them back to the Fargos. Tom Tom was the first alternate. For the Olympics in 19, I believe it was 54, he was the first alternate. In the Olympic tryouts, he lost one match that kept him from going to the Olympics, and he lost to a guy named Hodge. (laughs) That's how tough he was. No shame in that. (laughs) Did Did he decide to go to law school when he met the Fargos? (laughs) Another little thing about him And I'm not sure if it's I get them confused It's either Jacksonville State University Or Troy State I think it's Jacksonville State If you go to their campus Their their Coliseum Gymnasium Is is named the Tom Drake Coliseum And I want to say it's Jacksonville State And that's probably I'm sure from Contributions. Yeah, Tom well, he was, was from. Uh, uh, he was he was the Coleman, Alabama Flash, born, raised in Coleman, and lived there his whole life. Practice law there. Yeah, never left Coleman. So did he never uh, worked full time as a wrestler outside of uh, that Gulf Coast area. No, he worked. He, in, uh, he, he worked in Tennessee. In worked in Georgia. Uh, wrestled uh, for you know Welch and Goulas in Tennessee, mainly upper Upper Alabama, you know Huntsville area stuff like that. But but working for Goulas because uh, Huntsville is not uh, just about an hour from Coleman, or I should say Coleman is about an hour from Huntsville. But um, but uh, was a was a tremendous worker from from what I've all that I've heard and read about him. Never got well. I take that back. I did get to see him work in 
he came in and did one shot back in Mobile in 1972, and I saw him. Of course, he was you know he was part time then, and you know but, but water worker. He was a smooth, smooth as glass. But uh, he was a lot like Billy Wicks. They were they they came through Mobile about the same time. Uh, Wicks got a bit more of a push than uh, than Tom did, but uh, about the same. In fact, they teamed a lot, and. Uh, Everything, but but similar styles and everything, and uh, of course Tom. Uh, I mean, um, Billy became a police officer in Memphis, and he cut down to only being part time and starting in the early '60s as well. So they had a their career trajectories were quite similar. He told me, I guess it's been two or three years ago. He, when Chris died, I, Chris has been dead what, Mike, five years. My, in that years, neighborhood, yeah. yeah. He he, um, Tom took a Tom took a downturn there. He was Tom was suffering from a little bit of, of I don't know if it was Alzheimer's or dementia, but he was he got to where he was uh, he was very lonely. But when he was in Vegas, we would eat me and Charlie would eat breakfast with him uh, several times uh, while we're out there, uh, and he he told me. That uh, since Chris had been gone, he just had kind of gone downhill. But he told me the story. He said that Fuller, when Buddy Fuller was big into promoting and when he had Mobile and part of Georgia and Florida, he wanted to use Tom as his uh, enforcer. If somebody got out of line, he wanted to bring Tom in. And and I can't remember what he said the circumstances were, but he said he he got hooked into. kind of taking advantage of a guy one night, but just purely, I don't even remember how he said he got done, but he said when he come out of the ring, he went and he told Fuller, you know, he said he went face to face and told him never, ever, ever put him in that position again. He said, it's not right. And he said, you know, he said, when you're going to go after a guy, he said, you tell the guy up front before you ever leave the dressing room, you know, grab your best hold. He said, you don't go in a ring and take advantage of the guy. And that's kind of what they wanted him to do or something. And he was just, he was just a genuinely nice guy, and he never—I don't think he ever flaunted his his toughness. He just, it just his, his reputation was out there, and you knew who he was. But uh, just just a just a prince. His wife Chris was on. They're both on the board of directors at the Cauliflower Alley Club, and Chris was the Chris and Tom were both listed as legal counsel uh, in anything that came up that had to be handled legally for for Cauliflower Alley. As well as the Gulf Coast reunion, when it first was put together, they were the legal counsel, and uh, uh, they would, you know, people would tell you as far as the law firm was concerned, Tom was a good lawyer, but if you wanted somebody with some teeth to take care of you, you call Chris. And she was a, a sweetheart of a lady. She told first time I introduced my wife to her, she handed Debbie a business card, and she said, "If this fellow here ever gets in any trouble, she said you call me, I'll come get him." So when she passed away, I I had to walk the straight and narrow because I had no longer I didn't have a life preserver anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that makes that makes me think when you use the term enforcer there, Bobby. Uh, for a few of our fans that you know may not have been around or know all the jargon. Uh, Maybe between you and Jerry, you might explain that term and maybe shoot a shoot and a shooter. 
my 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 taking of it was is they always wanted the the promoters always wanted somebody that could that could take care of themselves so that if somebody came in and tried to to manhandle their territory or take over their territory uh say you put the title on the guy and the guy was a pretty good wrestler and he just decides well I'm not giving it up and you didn't have anybody in the territory that could take care of him to get it away from him uh they wanted somebody they could bring in or somebody they could call on that was tough enough to get your title back or 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 defend your position or your territory if that was the case I know uh I know I've heard of an instance or two where Harley was used in that capacity uh I think Fed, the well, best Fed example and, I know of of it, and, and, and usually the the term they were called policemen, because that's what they did. Yeah, um, they kind of handled the, the the rules and regulation. But the best example I know of it was back when uh, when Los Angeles was not a part of the the National Wrestling Alliance when they formed their own uh, Western Wrestling Alliance back in the uh, '60s. Fred Blassie dropped the WWA world title to uh, Bearcat Wright. He came to Georgia, Blassie did, still defending another version of the same title, but went back out to California, and the schedule, the deal was he was supposed to win it back from, from Bearcat Wright. Well, Bearcat Wright refused to drop it. So uh, he basically said what Bobby just said that, that Tom said the way it should do. He told he told Mike LaBelle, who was the promoter out there, or Cal Eaton, his stepfather, or Eileen, his mother, whichever one of them he told, might have been Jewel Strongbow, the uh, the booker, that uh, you know Blassie could could try and take it off of him. Now Bearcat Wright was not a shooter as far as wrestling business concern was concerned, but he was a former pro boxer whose father was a former pro boxer, so he could handle himself. Well, when the match started, uh, Blassie didn't come out of the ring. Judo Gene LaBelle did. So Bearcat right climbed out of the ring, went and never even changed clothes, just went and grabbed his stuff out of the dressing room and left. Left the territory. But yeah, there was usually somebody in 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 every office that was like that, um, and a lot of times it was guys that uh, you wouldn't even suspect. Um, right. You know, of course, Eddie Graham had had Bob Roop. Uh, Harley Harley could take care of himself whenever he was booking somewhere. Um, but uh, Buddy Fuller. When he had Mobile and Lee Fields, when he had Mobile, they had an old-time guy named um, Charlie Carr. He was their policeman. <clears throat> I would imagine that this wasn't really the common thing, uh, uh, right, Jerry? That most guys just wanted to, uh, you know, do their, have their match, collect their money, and go home, right? They that was it. Causes, yeah. I was never territory where they needed needed that, you know. I mean, yeah, it was not a. I heard the same thing happen when Buddy Rogers had the title. That Rogers didn't want to drop the title, and they booked him Talk with Thez, and Thez sent word we can do it the easy way or the hard way. 
Right. And, and but he drops the title. <laughs> you know, yes, there's a prestige with the title and there's ego and everything else, but there's no point in getting yourself hurt to the point you can't, you know, no, I mean, make a living. Because if you act like that, no matter how much money you draw, you know, sooner or later you're they're gonna quit your word's gonna get around, you're gonna nobody's gonna to wanna to use you. Right. So uh, I guess well, Geigel had uh, old Bulldog Bob Brown out there in Kansas to be his place. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, well, Geigel please. could handle anything that come up himself. Oh, I was going to say, Geigel didn't need anybody. Well, he also had a guy named Pat O'Connor out there, too. That yeah. Another guy, another business partner named Race. I mean, it was, that, that territory was pretty safe, I think. <laughs> I had looked down my list of territories that I thought I was going to hijack. That one would have been very near the bottom. Right. Right right below Bill Watts. <laughs> and Eddie Graham. Yes. And Gunkle when he was alive. I mean, there was a whole list of them. Uh, you know, the, the uh, you're right. Those things, they were not very, they, those things happened few and far between. Yeah. A lot of what they were used for is if guys, you know, off the street wanted to uh, wanted to become a wrestler. You know, they'd throw them in the ring with uh, Bob Roop or, or Kelly told me when he first came to Mobile, they brought him in as a referee, but he had been wrestling periodically up in North Bay, and he wanted to wrestle. So he went out to the field... <laughs> Rance, the first thing they did was put him in the ring with Charlie Carr. And uh, when he didn't quit, they, they decided he was serious enough about it, and they kind of uh, took him under their wing. But as the business changed going through the 70s and, and into the early 80s and everything, there, there really wasn't a need for that anymore. For guys like that, and you know, you you lost a lot of the guys that were still af- affiliated with the office in some capacity or another, of, whether they were know, refereeing or what. A lot of that was prompted by people that owned the territories or whatever that wanted to be tough but wasn't tough and had to have some exactly as they call it in force or around or whatever. I don't know what that was about. I mean, I saw that firsthand when I first started in Florida. I mean, it was, you know, and Root stopped that crap. He stopped it. You know, he he, he stopped it. I mean, it, was, it, got, it got to be on a weekly basis down there. You know, you could come out one night, somebody kill you for doing that to them. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's dangerous. Sure. I don't care how tough you are, you know. Well, I'll tell you something else that's dangerous, and that's to try to move furniture when you're 69 years old. And uh, the furniture comes out on top. Uh, If uh, anybody's wondered why I haven't been here in the last couple of months, uh, we were moving a few things for a friend of ours uh, into my my little pickup. And, you know, the the little uh, table didn't look uh, like it weighed anything, and it was quite heavy. It was one of those older tables back when things were made to last and uh so at any rate after we got done that evening 
I was, you know, I was feeling uh, tired and worn out. My disc on my left side of my lower back's uh, not in good shape. So, I, you know, I just chalked it up to that. But it's, this was in late September, early October, and I did do one more show after this started happening. But at any rate, uh, the condition continued to worsen, and uh, it got to be where the pain was excruciating, and I went through several doctors. Well, MRI showed that I had a fracture in my low low back and uh, also, uh, you know, found out I had osteoporosis. Who would think, who would think that? And, uh, you know, a lot of people think only women get osteoporosis. But uh, I eventually had uh, upper spine surgery uh, on my back. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's stuff called uh, uh, bone cement. And uh, this is what the uh, doctor put in my upper back to separate the vertebrae. And uh, it worked really good. The spasms that I was having in my low back uh, uh, cleared up, but I still uh, have some uh, pinched nerves in my low back and sciatica in my right leg, so I'm not out of the woods yet. The thing that was really rough is that I didn't feel like eating, and before I know it, I had lost, within two months, I had lost 25 pounds. Not that I couldn't, uh, you know, not that losing 10 or 15 wouldn't have been a great idea, but uh, not as fast as I lost it. So it's uh, uh, a situation where I'm kind of treading water here trying to put some weight back on because it even even doesn't feel good when I lay down on the bed. But what it all boils down to is that none of us are supermen. So, you know, take care of yourself. Well, we've missed you. Well, I thank you. And uh, I'm not saying that I'm out of the woods yet because I've got at least one more uh, surgery on my on my low back. And uh, so I don't know if that'll, you know, how many days that's going to take up. But at any rate, uh, that, that bone cement was unbelievable. When the doctor explained to me what he was going to do, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, you're going to put cement in between my vertebrae. Well, it's like bricks, I guess, that have fallen down. And uh, it, it, anybody ever, if a, you know, a surgeon ever suggests that to you with back injury, it, it really, really, really made a difference. I mean, it's made such a difference in my life as it is right now that I still can't drive because of the sciatica in my right leg. But, uh, you know, I can actually, I feel like getting up in the morning and, uh, you know, uh, doing doing some paperwork and keeping my bills paid and uh, things like that and having a conversation with somebody. So it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's really, really, really made a difference. I'm glad to be back with you guys. Good. Dottie Curry down in Jacksonville has had the same procedure done. Oh, yeah? And she's, yeah, she had the cement put in. She's, I'm not sure how her success is done, but she's, uh, we, I heard that uh, she's not doing very well, so uh, we need to remember Dottie in, uh, in our prayers. Okay. So, Jerry, okay, how has uh, how's things been on the beach this week? Has the weather been pretty? Yeah, it's been, been quiet. It's pretty. Yeah, it's been 75 up here the last couple of days. Yeah, it's been really nice. Uh, did you guys talk about Jimmy Snuka last week? 
weeks ago, yeah. Two weeks ago? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I was reading the Wrestling Observer this week, and there's so many different people with their perspective on, on how he lived his life and what's in his autobiography and what's his perspective on Jimmy Snuka and, uh, you know, what most of the folks uh, that did know him or just knew him by reputation. But, uh, I mean, the guy held 14 at least different titles in his uh, in, in, in his time in the business. And uh, I think he's another one of these guys that uh, pretty well could handle himself, you know, uh, in and out. Obviously, out of the ring, he handled himself, whether it was good or bad. But uh, uh, his—I think he had a reputation as a, you know, as a top drawer guy, and he—he uh, he was able to uh, hold it up. Jerry, is uh, from your perspective and uh, what you know about bodybuilders, how would you say he—he he stacked up within uh, within that category? Oh, he was—he was probably for somebody who was built like that, one of the best workers I ever saw. I thought he was a good worker, very good. I mean, he could, Jimmy could do a lot of stuff. Had the pleasure of working with him, so, you know, he was, he, he was tough, man. I don't think he was. But, you know, you know, all the stuff you hear and read and, you know, whatever life he lived, that was, you know, every man's got a choice. And But I can only go by how he was when I was around him, you know, and I can't say, you know, was was he, he in Portland when you were out? Was he yes, in Portland when you were out there? That's when I first met him. When I first met him. And the observers say when my... he started, uh, Jay, because we were debating uh, on that. I beg your pardon, Mike. I said, did the observer list when he actually started? Because uh, he had been on. around forever when he. First, you know, started getting press and everything. Give me a sec. Uh, I've got I've got everything on his titles here, and you know the the main the main title was the as far as the longevity and the number of times he held it was the NWA Pacific Northwest Tag Team, uh, which he uh, won with Cowboy Frankie Lane, beat Kirk and Carl Von Steiger, and that was in June 25th of '71. And uh, the last time he held that title was uh, he lost it to Buddy Rose and Jesse Ventura in January 15th of 1977. Uh, but, uh, you know, they also talk about him coming in here a couple of times and defending the uh, the World Tag Team Championship when he held that in the Carolinas. Uh, let me see if I... In the, in the early 70s, for sure, uh, very early 70s. Uh, That's what I was thinking, late 60s, early 70s. Because when yeah, he and Orndorff uh, won the world title the first time, and I want to say 76, 77, you know, the, the magazines made it out like they were both rookies. And, and Orndorff, for the most part, was, but Snuka had been around forever. He had worked yeah, for Burn he, under the name of, uh, uh, oh, what was it? He used a couple of different names. Uh, yeah. Based on his who he thought was his father and who 
really was his father and that sort of stuff. Uh, but I think 70, late 70, early 71 was the uh, first thing that I saw on him. But uh, it's, when he came to the to Georgia with the World Tag Team titles uh, out of the Carolinas, uh, he, uh, you know, we, I guess that was, I guess that was the closest we ever, did he, he never worked here on a full-time basis, did he? Yeah. He and Terry Gordy were Georgia Tag Team champions. Okay. And worked a lot against Michael it, Hayes and uh, and Jerry's number one student, Otis Sistrunk. Yeah, when when the, the we had for a short period of time what was called the National Tag Team title, didn't uh, I remember that being in the in the uh, program from you know for a short time. Let's see. Right, so they, they had them both. They had the national title, which was a trophy. Right. And then they still had the Georgia Tag titles, and they had them both for a while. And then I think finally the Road Warriors, you know, it, they, it became combined when uh, when they had them. He uh, he had he, he won several uh, Wrestling Observer awards, including the Tag Team of the Year with Terry Gordy in 1981, uh, Best Flying Wrestler in '81. Best Wrestling Maneuver in 81 and 83, and he was in the WWE Hall of Fame in uh, 96 and Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2012. So he had a he had a very, you know, he had a very long career, and he was wrestling independence uh, up until close to the end. So that was one of the problems that was going on with his lawsuit, with his, uh, with his attorney trying to saying that he was just, frail guy that didn't know what was going on, you know, and this sort of thing, because uh, he, he was uh, he was still working so, uh, you know, so close to the end. But, uh, uh, yeah, he had, uh, he had uh, I would say, uh, he got Lane, or this is Cowboy Frankie Lane, got him started in pro wrestling in Hawaii in 1969. Uh, and then they worked together again in 1971. So he didn't say early 69 or late 69, but he was using the name Big Snooker. Uh, right, and, and he was, his, he was for a while he was called the Great Snooker because when I first heard of him, he was that. Right. And so uh, I can't remember what the name was that he used for uh, for Vern. It was something Leilani or Alo Leilani or something. Yeah, Lonnie Kaloha. And sometimes yeah, Lonnie Kaloha. Kaloha. That's right. Yeah, and then sometimes Jimmy Kaloha. Then he arrived in the AWA, and uh, that pretty well is where he started his, uh, you know, major career working uh, with Don Morocco. Right. Uh, was the Pacific Northwest, Jerry? I mean, we've talked about that before, but. Uh, outside of the ring, I, did the guys have a lot of freedom to do what they wanted to do out there? They weren't closely that closely watched, right? Watch? They weren't that closely. I don't know of any uh, closely watched. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know of any. Their time, their time, their time was their time outside of the ring, right? I mean, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. As long as they yeah, made. As long as they made their books. Right. 
and stayed out of jail. That was amazing. At least. And yeah, that didn't work yeah. all the time on that that front. No. You know, the trips weren't weren't that bad out there. You know, you had a couple, like if you went to Medford or Rose, Roseburg, they, they were pretty long trips. But then if you went to Spokane, that was pretty, but they, they didn't run those that often. So, you know, people talk about miles and trips and all. Georgia was the easiest territory in the whole country. I mean, it was. I mean, Savannah was the longest trip. Yep. Then the rest of, you know, I mean, guys could be home every night, every night. Particularly if you didn't, uh, I mean, if you lived on the south side of Atlanta or even further south a little bit down towards, uh, not, not living in Macon, but kind of somewhere in between here and there. So, it, you know, you you had quite a – I mean, you could be almost anywhere in the state uh, uh, within a uh, – you know, within a – not a short drive, but a very reasonable drive. Well, I live in Columbus. Yeah. And how, how long would it, how long so, would it take you, know, you – uh, you know, I'm sure the cops knew you and knew what you were doing, but how long would it normally take you – if you were going to have to go to do TV on Saturday morning and you were at home, how long would it take you to get there? Hour and a half. Savannah was uh, from Columbus, uh, four hours. Uh, Augusta, three hours. That was speeding, though. I mean, I'd, been, I'd, I'd go to Augusta on Monday, and, and you know, if I wasn't in Savannah, I'd go back back home Monday night. If I was in, you know, because if I was in Macon, I'd go back home. So I did more miles than anybody in Georgia, living in Columbus. Ronnie West would take it in spurts. He'd live in Atlanta for a while, then he'd get homesick, and he'd move back to Cleveland, Tennessee. And he'd, he'd make when, all the trips out of Cleveland. When 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 uh, Flash and Rocket were here, they lived in Macon. Yep. That was early on, you know. That was the perfect place to live. Yeah, if you were gonna, if you wanted an ideal spot to live in in, uh, in Georgia back in that day, it was Macon because Athens was north of Atlanta, and until we well Cartersville when they was running Cartersville every week, but that was pretty much it until they started running Rome. I mean, you'd do a spot show up on the north end, but almost everything the regular towns were were south. Right. Yeah, you're talking about making those trips through. out of Columbus. Uh, my first wife was from Columbus, and I spent a lot of time there when we were dating and after we got married at her parents' home. Uh, Savannah was a good trip, but I'm going to tell you, that, that Augusta from Columbus was no joke. That was no joke. That was a heck of a little ride across there. We 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 used to go up through Macon. That's the way I went. That's the only way to go. Get tangled up in that line like trying to get on twenty. No, I tried that. Well, could you imagine guys trying to work the circuit now with the way they got the uh, the interstates messed up? I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's constant. Yeah, it takes me longer to get to uh, Eagles Landing uh, from my house uh, than it does North Atlanta sometimes, and uh, it's uh, it's just ridiculous. And they just put in that heat. Go ahead. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you know, it's, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine today that 
here in Savannah and talking about how things have changed, everything's changed, you know. You, you, I mean, for the expenses that things are now, you couldn't drive the road. You couldn't run the roads like that every night with fuel the way it is. No. You, you, no. you just couldn't do it. You, you couldn't do it. You, you couldn't do it. Which which brings to mind in the early seventies when we had the uh the gas shortage and uh you know, gas was so expensive for the time, you know, people would laugh at uh how much the gas was, but when we had that legit shortage back there Jimmy during the Jimmy Carter age, how did uh how did guys work it to get around? I mean, I know everybody liked to ride with everybody, but that had to have been a very uh, you know that had to be had to been a very tough time, not just uh, based on the price of gas, but just getting gas all together. I was in Dallas when, when I first ran into that, and I forgot you, you could only I forgot how we did that. Some you know some did it by I forgot how they did it. You could own the, maybe the last number you tag or whatever. Yeah. Well, I forgot. I forgot. I don't remember. But it, 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 I mean, it was a serious thing. Okay. Yeah, and most people don't. You know, they uh, you know they they drive fifteen twenty minutes uh, from their house to uh, go to work, or uh, maybe a little bit longer than that, and they don't think about the people that you know, had to work like that, even when you were talking about Georgia being a great circuit because of, you know, the link between uh, one city and the next where you were going to work. But still, if you couldn't uh, if you couldn't get the petrol, then uh, you were in a serious situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like uh, if you worked the Dallas Territory back then, you know, Monday you was in Fort Worth, that's just right up the road, and you was in Dallas... Tuesday night, uh, using Fort, uh, Fort Worth Monday, Dallas Tuesday, and then you would leave Wednesday morning, and you wouldn't get back home till Saturday mornings. Wow. I mean, it, it, you know, there's no need to talk about Louisiana. <laughs> I'd leave on Wednesday and get back home Monday morning. And then go to Tulsa that Monday and back. Wow, that, that so, you know, it was, you know, you know, we'd do more miles on the weekend than you do in Georgia the whole week. We'd leave TV in Shreveport and go to uh, what was the name of that town? Uh, after we did TV on Saturday, do two tapes, leave there and. What La Ronja it was. Uh, I can't remember. It was three hundred and thirty miles. Jeez. With that, with those Opa two tapes, uh, Do what now? Was that the were town, those, Jerry? Those two, oh, oh. Go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say, with those two tapes, was that two two shows? You were doing two weeks shows when you did the two tapes. Yes, we did TV every other week. And I assume that was to help cut down on the miles a little bit on the road. Uh, that had nothing to do with that. That's just the way it did. did not. No. no. Was that uh, was that when they were shooting at the boys' club? 
No, that, that we was doing at a TV station when I was out there. Oh, okay. Well, I cut down on production costs when you were doing two shows at the, you know, back to back. Right. Set up time. But the, you know, it's it's just funny how things have changed. I guess you know the business went away for a reason because you know there's 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 no way you could run a, a town weekly anymore. Cost of buildings, you know, what ticket prices is about to be, they can't afford it. That's what you know, ticket prices. I don't know what they are for this Sunday, but I I just can't imagine. Kathy saw a thing today on the news. There's like even there was this house they showed it. You can rent it for one night in Houston. In Houston, you know what it costs for one night? What? That's what I asked no her eight times, and she told me thirty-five thousand dollars. Whoa! What? For one night? She said it was unbelievable. I said it should be. Yeah. But you have some. You know, you got men that can would do that. I was sitting here last uh, two weeks ago when they played Green Bay. And they they won the game. And I knew then, of course, they were going to the Super Bowl. So I sat here, and I had said for years that if I had gotten the tickets, I would get them and sell them. And the young lady, young she's older than me, but, the, but the, the friend of mine that bought my ticket, she's a member of my church, she is just a huge, huge, huge fan. She loves the Braves, loves the Falcons. And she, she is... Uh, She's just been, she's been super to me. She's she's uh, she's thought of me at every turn. Whenever something was, uh, when they won the uh, the conference cha- the uh, division, uh, she got me a t-shirt. When they won the conference, she got me a t-shirt. Just little things. So I'd sit here and I'd actually come up with a game plan that if she won, I was going to surprise her, and we were going to go as roommates, and I was going to take her to the Super Bowl. I'm I'm thinking now from 1999 when the tickets were three and a quarter apiece. Uh, not that I have a lot of money, but I thought I can swing this. And and uh, uh, Debbie had relatives that lived out that way, and I, I didn't figure out I could stay with them, so it was not going to cost me uh, to, for that. Just to ride out there and back and go to the game. So when Monday came around, they uh, the way they notified people this year was with a phone call. So about 3 o'clock on Monday, I get a phone call that tells me that uh, they had had the lottery and that my account did not receive tickets. So needless to say, sitting here with 51 years of season tickets behind me, I was hot that I wasn't given an opportunity to go. Then about 6 o'clock that night, I found out what the face value of the tickets were this year, and I was elated I did not get any tickets. They were $900 a piece. Wow. Two tickets would have been $1,800. But what are tickets going for, Bobby? I mean, sure enough. Now, they say that you, they say they're running anywhere from from uh, up in the nosebleeds are running anywhere from fifteen dollars to $2,500, and the sideline seats are running anywhere from from uh, seven 000, eight thousand up to as much as 25000 But, you know, outside of the cost of the ticket, you're also looking at, whatever it's going to cost you to get in and out of there, you know, transportation-wise, and then what Jerry was talking about, finding a place to stay. I mean, it's uh, the ticket price is just one element of how much it would cost it's, you to it go is there. Insane. It, is not a per, it's not a, it is not a game for, 
for normal folks like me that don't have any money to go to. I, I promise you. When I went in 99, I'm thinking it cost me $40 to park. And I read this week that they said that parking in Houston, some of the lots close to the stadium are going to run as much as $200. So it's, you know, and people in Atlanta, especially especially these newer fans that have uh, jumped on the bandwagon here all of a sudden, that want to go and say that they've went. It's an astronomical thing to go. I know right now about 10 people that are driving out there to tailgate. They don't have tickets to the game. They're just going so that they can be part of the atmosphere. Right. They were there. But with that being said, yesterday on the NFL Network, I was watching it, and they said that due to security, they're not going to let people set up tents in the parking lots. They're not going to let them cook out. Uh, it's going to be strictly park. If you want to hang out by your car, you can, but there's going to they're going to be they're very strict on what you can and cannot do. So I don't know what kind of What's atmosphere the there's going to be. Standing outside I your the, car. I saw the police chief from Houston on TV this afternoon when I got back from the gym. Uh huh. He said every police officer in Houston will be on duty. Five, yep. five, they got five thousand cops. They have 50 canine units, plus what they got coming from other cities. The FBI is sending SWAT teams in. You know, it could be something horrendous down there. You know, and and and, and when you come to think about it, people have you say, yeah, Bobby, saying, oh, I was there. But, you know, sitting there in your comfortable couch with your nachos really doesn't sound bad at all to see the game, you know. No. Well, listen, I'm going to be honest. In 99, when I went, I'd never been. I was very fortunate that Atlanta went that year, and I got to go. Let me tell you my Super Bowl experience. I left Atlanta on Saturday morning, me and a friend of mine. We drove. My brother lived in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, which is just south of Daytona. We drove to his house. We spent the evening with them, spent the night, got up Sunday morning, ate breakfast with them, got in the car, and it was another two and a quarter to Miami. We drove into Miami. We got down there. We went straight to the parking lot, parked, and they parked us in this big field downtown. We walked over to the stadium, went through the security check, got into the stadium, went to our seats, and sat down. The game, we watched the game. It was all over. Of course, the halftime spectacular, as they call it, uh, if you're in the stadium, it is so geared for TV. There's so much going on. It's not like when you went to a college game and saw a band perform at halftime. You have no clue what's going on if you're watching the field. You have to watch the halftime show on the Matrix board to have any clue of what's happening. And the music is, they're lip syncing, so everything is piped in, you know, and, and it's just, it is what it is. Now, I understand... Uh, some of these people are performing live now that they've got it down to one person doing the show. But you get through with that, and then when the game's over, and in my case, the team I wanted to win lost. So we had to stay for the trophy presentation and that stuff. We had to get back to the car, fight the mess getting out of the city. And when I finally got back to the interstate, I drove from there to Orlando, got to Orlando about 2.30, quarter to 3 in the morning. We checked in a hotel 
We slept till about 9.30, ate breakfast at the hotel restaurant, got in the car and came home. I don't forget what time I got home Monday night. But I was back at work Tuesday morning. I would imagine that traffic getting out of there was uh, uh, no, uh, you know, no thrill. It's horrible. Had no, of course, you know, I had no idea where I was going. All I was trying to do was find the interstate. So I basically just kind of followed the flow of traffic. But it was, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's no fun to go. It is. I'm glad I can say that I went to one. But it's just a. Uh, uh, and I can promise you this: that ride is a lot longer home after they lost than it was going down there with the <laughs> anticipation of seeing them play. And then, of course, first thing we hear Sunday morning when we get in the car is our star defensive back has been arrested for solicitation the night before the game. So, his yeah, was, uh, just a. Wasn't their big star that uh, the year they went to the Super Bowl was Jamal Anderson? Jamal Anderson was a running back. Uh, and he was just here arrested recently for exposing himself in a gas station. In a QT station. Yeah. You kidding me. <laughs> oh, no. He's barred from some QT station where he exposed himself in the middle of the drink section or something. Yeah, well, I you, you know. Speaking of which, Michael Vick, did you see the story on him in the in the AJC about how great the Atlanta experience was for him? I heard about it on TV. I haven't seen a paper in a while, but they, I would I would imagine there were some four legged friends that wouldn't agree with him. But uh, oh, jeez, you know Atlanta. I guess people are being very forgiving and and and. and you know, on one hand, he paid his debt. I, but, you know, the thing that bothered me about Michael Vick is not what he did was horrible. But what what bothered me was the, the things he could do on a football field were a God-given talent. You could not coach sure. that. You could not teach that. And he just threw it away and didn't appreciate it. That's the part that well, bothered me about him. And now that his talents are no longer needed because – They've they've dwindled and it's it's not what it was. Now he you know he said the other day he would like to retire as an Atlanta Falcon. Well, uh-huh. who who cares? I have a jersey. Oh, they'll do it. They'll do it though. They'll do it. Oh sure they will. Sure they will. I've got a jersey over here. I've got a I've got a little two little glass cases in my living room, and over on the bottom shelf of this and I'm looking at it right now. I have a Michael Vick game worn. Jersey that is signed by him. It was given to me as a gift, and when it was given to me, I was told that on eBay I could have got about two thousand dollars for it. After the dog fighting thing, I would have had to pay somebody a dollar and a quarter to haul it off. I'm sure. That, so I'm that, hoping. How, how, I mean, maybe somebody will you, want it. How could you throw a career away like that? I mean, well, we well, saw it. You know. Yeah. Some people just think they're so big, you know, that uh, not only is people are the fans forgiving, but they're even up front. They're going to, uh, you know, just just shrug it off. Uh, but in that case, there were, as now, there were just too many uh, animal lovers to uh, let that one go. You know, it just wasn't going to happen. 
Well, to me, you're not even human, you know? Yeah. I, I, I won't even watch him do an interview or nothing. That's just me. Yeah. If you are a pet lover or an animal lover of any kind, it is beyond my comprehension how you can do that. You know, I mean, a, a dog's natural. If, if two dogs run into each other out here on the street, it might be their natural instinct to tie up a little bit. But to yes. bait animals to go in there to kill one another, to abuse no, them the way they no. did, to train them to fight and to do those things. And there's treat them on top of it. No, and yeah, I'm them. just. Oh, uh, man, please, don't get me started on that. I, I have more compassion for animals than I do people. Yeah, me too. They don't have a choice in what's being done to them. You know, it's 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 just it's just I don't know. I I guess I'm yeah. I trust most of them. I trust most of them a lot more. You know, seriously. Yeah, really. Because you know basically what their instincts are and up front what they're going to do. I mean, I, I know everybody aren't. You know, it's not animal lovers. I mean, I I couldn't go in the woods and kill a deer. There's no way I could do it. I, I couldn't do it. That's just me. Let me let me give you a, let me give you a little deer hunting thing right quick. My uncles, my little brother, uh, they're all outdoorsmen. They're all hunters. They're all fishermen. You know, and I enjoyed fishing, but they they were on me for years and years, Jerry, to go deer hunting with them. And I have no problem with anybody that does it. Don't get and, me wrong. You know, me neither. And I and so finally I gave into it. My mother for my birthday one year. Gave me a thirty thirty deer rifle, you know, a rifle. So I agreed to go with them. Well, as luck would have it, the first day of deer season, I'm in the woods, and a deer presents itself to me, and it like it posed in front of me, and I shot it. And as it turned out, I killed a deer bigger than any of my uncles had ever killed my first day out there. They were all ooing and on, and and I and I had the deer. I mean, I had it mounted. I did the whole thing, you know. Uh, hung it in my grandmother's home, you know, because she she wanted it and and wanted like that sort of thing. Then it struck me on the way home that night that I want that I don't eat the meat, and I said I've just killed something that I'm not going to eat. Yeah. So that was the end of my deer hunt. Now I, I I had the thing processed, and I fed a family for a whole whole winter. I gave them every bit of it. They it was not wasted. But I refuse to go back because I'm not going to shoot something. I'm not going to eat just to say I shot something, and I'm not I'm not crazy enough to want to shoot something to hang it on my wall. Oh my God! Just to say that I've done it, and uh, you know, it's just my little brother's got elks hanging on his wall. He's got an alligator skin. He's got a bear skin. I mean, he's traveled all over the country to shoot stuff, and I just but but that's not me. If they ever open a cow season, I'm going to be in. <laughs> I've probably been around as, around as much small arms as anybody I know. And, uh, you know, uh, working with them and, and whatnot, taking them apart, putting them back together and, and everything else, and shooting them on ranges. But I've got a thirty-eight snub nose, and I've got two shotguns. And if somebody comes into my house, I'm going to blow them away. But I'm not going to touch an animal uh, in the forest. I have no desire to do it whatsoever. You sound just like me. I wouldn't have any problem somebody doing that to me. That yep. door, that door's locked. That don't mean you can't come in. It means you're not supposed to come in. That's right, and that's the way it's going to be. 
I, you know, they, you're on your own if you try to come into my house, and that's what I, that's what I got to protect myself with, and that's all it is. It's to protect that's myself against two-legged animals, not four-legged. I think it would be much more fun if we would, if we would give the deers good, you know, give them a good. That's I, right. I, I used to work with a guy. Um, when I was still living in Mobile. Uh, just to give you, uh, you know, and I'm not going to knock anybody that's a NASCAR fan. I don't care about NASCAR, but I know a lot of good people that, that love it. But this guy thought that that <clears throat> Ricky Bobby movie was a, was a documentary. That's how this guy was. He, you know, he could have he could have sued Larry the Cable Guy for stealing his life. Except his was he was serious about it. But anyway, I worked with this guy for over a year. And uh, he kept a huge photo album in the office of all the animals he killed. Ask him to see a picture of his wife and kids. Couldn't show you one. But he can show you every animal in the world he killed. But he was bragging one day. It was was getting to be deer season, and he was bragging about going to his shooting house and everything and how he'd he'd baited them, you know, in the weeks coming up to open season, he was he was putting corn out in his, oh, yeah. his hunting property so the deer would get used to coming out there. And I pissed him off. I said, man, that's not hunting. I said, that's fishing. You're just baiting the ground, and when they come out there, you're going to shoot them. I said, you know, and you're sitting in a hunting house that's, got, that's heated. you got a, you got a battery-operated television in there. You know, so, you, you know, you're not rough. Hunt them with a stick. You want to impress me, get you a stick and go after them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, told, I told one guy in my gym one time, oh, he, they always want me to go and they bring deer meat. And I told him I appreciate it. I, don't eat. I said, I don't see the fascination with that. Oh, it's something. I said, you, you, you got on camouflage, you look like a tree, you blend <laughs> in, you got yourself concealed, and you got this high-powered rifle, and here comes a big animal but you know and, and like you said on a baited field they do it don't tell me they don't i know they do it I, so I'm like I, you, I mean you know these guys build these tree stands and they buy these portable deer stands and whatever and i was often curious about why you know they, they why such elaborate tree stands and i read <clears throat> a deer has no natural enemies above his head that makes, that makes sense. sense. I never thought about that, but that makes well, sense. Well, I, I hadn't either, but they have no natural enemies above their head. I mean, you know, wildcats, things like that that might, you know, or or uh, yeah. coyotes or whatever might attack them from the ground. All of, None of those climb trees and wait on them. So that's why hunters sit in trees. Like trees. Yeah, it's, it, you know, but I mean, peach is on, but that, that's not for me. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah and people, we, people we, that eat the meat, I have no problem with that. You know that's that's you know it's a source of food that's fine but and I understand the population the deer population has to be thinned out because of the damage to crops and things they do but yeah I just it, it wasn't for me my little brother yeah. went to Alaska to shoot a bear and, I, and 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 he did he 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 shot one and when he came back he of course he wanted to show off the and I love my little brother but me and him are just different. I'll sit in the snow watching play football, but I ain't sitting in the snow looking for a bear. But uh, I asked him, I said, how was the meat? Because he eats everything he shoots. He will eat it. I said, how was the meat? He said, oh, I couldn't eat it. He said, it just come out of hibernation, and it wasn't any good. I said, then why did you shoot it? 
You're right. And they, oh well, I just you know. So I probably have told I, y'all I, this. They 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 had a bear season. They 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 agreed to let. This is years ago. They agreed to have a, a about a thirty day open season on bear in North Georgia. They said that they had too many of them up there and they needed to thin them out, so on and so forth. So I'm sitting at home one Friday, and my phone rings, and it's Bill Dromo, and he goes, you want to go bear hunting with me tomorrow? And I went, no. And he said, why not? I said, because my luck being with you, we'll find one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I never you, made you, that you, trip. But what was saying is traipsing to your stand or where are you going to do it, and you already got idiots out there with these high-powered rifles. Oh, anything, mm, mm. Some of them shoot anything that moves. Yes, You're sir. not kidding. No, well, I had uh, I had some deer meat one time. This friend of mine, a, a pastor, uh, or an army an army chaplain, uh, and he, he was you know chaplains in the military can't carry weapons. Uh, just for anybody out there that doesn't know it, uh, and uh, so at any rate, but you go into his house and it uh, you know it was deer rifle from one end to the other. But uh, I was at his house one night because he was a musician, and uh, we played together a few times. And he, his wife, made spaghetti for dinner, and uh, and so at any rate, it it was okay. But after it was over, after we were done, he said, "You know what the kind of meat that was?" And I said, "No, it was a little grainy." He said, "That was deer meat," and uh, you know, I I could have survived off of it, and it didn't. I didn't choke up on it because I ate it, but. It wasn't anything spectacular, folks. That's for doggone sure. Well, they, they always told me, uh, I tried, I tried it, you know. They said, well, you don't know how to prepare it. You have to do this and this and this to it. And I said, so you telling me something wrong with it, like i got to do all these steps to get it ready to eat, cook and eat. So right. I, I just. Yep. I just, throw, a, throw a hamburger on the on the fire, you know, and you're ready to go. Don't tell me what all you, you know, got to do to this stuff. Yeah, I just, I just wasn't raised on all that. So I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I just, you know, and even now, I, I, I just, I can't even think of the thought of doing that. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's not in my vocabulary or in my thoughts to say what animal can I kill today. But you know, there's people out there that say what person can I kill today, and yeah, well, uh, there's those, the, those are the ones you gotta, those are the ones as far as I'm concerned, I gotta worry about. Well, all right. I well, if we all find ourselves in Mobile at the same time, we'll go over to Robertsdale and go to the Spear Hunting Museum. And you know that guy's got to be raking in. He's just got to be raking in at least one or two people a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy actually, I was when I was living down and working in Gulf Shores, I was going home one day and I looked over and I saw this building over there and it said Spear Hunting Museum. What in the world? And who in the world would, would want to go in there? I don't know. Somebody. I guarantee you. Well, has anybody here, or will anybody admit that you ever went to an alligator farm? Oh, I've been to an alligator farm. Not me. You can't go through Florida without going to an alligator farm. Oh, yes, Cheers. I have. I've managed to do that several times. <laughs> 
Jerry's seen enough alligators probably for the rest of us that we don't have to, you know, even. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that bears, I, you know, I, you know, it's, you know, to each his own, though, you know, I, I don't criticize right. anybody that does it. It's just, but, I guess we got off on this about the dog fighting. That, that, yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, well, let's, I want a prediction on everybody on the Super Bowl before I go here in a little bit. I'll take the what? team that scores the most points. There you go. I'm pulling well, for Atlanta, but I just really don't know that they can beat this team. You know, they have too many ways to cheat. They, they, uh, <laughs> you know, what was I going to say? Oh, you, you know, it's like the bookies, you know. The Patriots are favored. The last I heard, about three, right? Three, yeah. So stayed that way all week. And see, it's it's amazing what they, how they come up with these, you know, the point spread. It's how they. Of course, it could be a blowout either way. I mean, it yeah. could be. Who knows? Because you don't know what some one of those players might do between now and Sunday night, Sunday evening. Sure. You know. Sure. Or anything like that. You can't predict that, but. I, all I know is I wouldn't touch this with a ten foot pole. <laughs> I think that we can quote you on that, Jerry, and uh, go to bed with it. Because well, you I, know, I'm gonna say the Falcons by ten. If the Falcons, you know, and, and I, they, if they play like they've played all year, that, that's that's they can score. Exactly. Question is, can they stop the other team from scoring more? That's right. Well, That's the whole thing. The Falcons certainly got the fan support. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, it's a, and uh, I, I don't follow it all that close, but uh, I'll, I'll go with the Falcons myself. Well, I hope so. I really would. I, I, I just, uh, I'm going to miss going to the games, and then, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, I would love for them to finally win one. Sure. Well, I mean, the way they play, I mean, everybody says, uh, I listen to all these sports shows and all, you know, which that's neither here or there, but th- there's nobody playing like them. Nobody. No. Nobody. They got too many weapons, but. I'm going to be really so, interested to see Saturday, you know, Saturday night is their awards thing. I'm going to be really interested to see if Ryan gets the MVP because they say it's either going to be Ryan or, or Brady. But, I mean, it's just, here's a guy that got caught cheating. And because of who he is and what he is, he he, he managed to get suspended for four games that didn't mean anything because they're in the Super Bowl again. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know, they never really proved he did that. Well, they might have never proved it, but I, I got news for you. They ain't a ball boy in the world. Got well, enough guts that. to deflate a ball if Bilicek or him didn't know about it. Well, the only thing, I'm, I'm standing up on his behalf now, because if it was that bad, if it was that bad, those, every, between every play, those officials handle that ball. Yep. I mean, what's a pound or what? A come sure. on, man. Yeah. Well, All right, you... Sean, based on that note, I'm gonna, my whole back's going to have to say goodnight. <laughs> I've certainly... I've, I've certainly enjoyed uh, being back with uh, the companions. Well, it's good to hear your voice. Yes, glad have you back on with us. 
Well, Jay, thank you very I'm much. Sorry, I'm sorry you still having to go through. I, I know about pain. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very sorry, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Well, that you thank are you very much, Jerry. No, I, I mean that. I really do, because I, I know what it's like. I, I appreciate I it. Me. I mean it and, from the bottom uh, of my heart. Well, it takes somebody that's been through it sometimes to know, you know, to know what it's all about. And uh, I appreciate that, Jerry. And I, I hope sure to do. join you. Thank you. And I hope to join you folks again next week. Good deal, so. Jerry. Take, take care all of right. yourself. Thank you. Good. good night. Well, Jerry, I know you got to go too, so uh, I guess we'll, we'll go ahead give, and wrap let it give, up. Let me give let me give one more comment about All the right. Brady deal, and, and you know I'm I'm not a big Patriot fan by any stretch. I would like to see Atlanta win. I, I, I you know I, I really would, but the only thing I would love to see is Goodell hand him the most valuable player trophy without beating the Falcons to Brady. Mm-hmm. I mean. You, you, you know, you know, when all this started, uh, what's the guy that owns them? Uh, oh, Kraft, Tom Kraft. Kraft, he paid, yeah. He paid a million dollar fine. Yep. A million bucks, and they still stayed on. Them. I mean, I thought it was, you know, and I'm not saying they didn't do it. I, I, I'm not saying they didn't because I wasn't there. And I, I never touched one of those balls, so I don't know, but. I'm sure everybody else has had those balls, Doctor. Not just him. They did, the old saying is he got caught, evidently. But there it is. The, the caught, the uncaught. Yes, that's the end of the story. Yep. Well, I'm glad Jay was back with us, guys. I, re- I really mean that. It's, yeah, it's, me too. Good to hear him. Pain is something else. All but right, guys. Well, uh, hopefully. I really do. Hopefully we'll survive this Sunday, and uh, I go to uh, go to my training next Tuesday. Bobby, the reason I haven't called you to uh, arrange anything, I'm, I'm, it's in uh, Brookwood, and it's from 10 to 2. And unfortunately, my daughter's tied up, and I didn't want to tie you up unless I absolutely have to, so I'm working on some other arrangements. But if they don't work through, I'll let you know. But anyway, I go to my training on uh Tuesday, and I should be working from home as of next Wednesday. Very I'm good. I'm so happy for you, Mike. I am, too. It's going to be nice to have a dime in my pocket again. I heard that. I'm very, very glad for you. All right, guys. Well, we'll get together again next week, and we'll do this one more time. Sounds yep, good. And uh, Again, great. happy birthday, Mr. Smith. I know you're listening, and uh, I hope you have many, many more, sir. For sure. Absolutely. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.